I am here. God wants me there. How do I get there from here? And oftentimes in our life's journey, we think to ourselves, well, if God's called me to go there, it's going to be smooth and easy, and it's just going to flow along, and there's not going to be any trouble, any hardships at all. But that's not what we find consistent with the Bible at all. Jesus himself says that when you follow me, it's going to be difficult. There are going to be trials. But God doesn't bring these trials into our life to hurt us. They're there to grow us and to build our faith. The title of today's message is God Provides in Unique Ways. Thank God that we don't have to know everything and the way that God's working and fully comprehend and understand everything for God to actually be working in our hearts. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts, this is God talking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thank God that all we have to do is have faith in God, and He will provide. It's not a matter of us having to understand everything and then God will provide for us. Thank God for that. Our principle for today is this. God provides in ways beyond my ability and means. God provides in ways beyond my ability and means. All you and I are called to do is to discover where God is at work and to join him in that work. Whether you've been coming to Southwest Baptist Church for the last eight years of our church and you've heard these sort of messages again and again or you're hearing these sort of messages for the very first time and this is maybe revolutionary in your hearts. When we've come with anticipation, we're anticipating that God has something for you today. And God is at work and He wants us there. But how do we get there when we are here? Life is certainly not easy. There's lots of ups and there's downs, there's steps forward, and sometimes we take steps backwards. But always we should be looking towards going where God wants us to go, being the people that God wants us to be. In this series, Here to There, we're looking through and discovering principles from the Word of God, from the the life of Moses and the children of Israel, how they were in slavery in, in Egypt, and how God liberated them and brings them out. And we're still in the foundational times here, setting a a basis and a foundation. Last week, we discovered that God sees, He hears, and He knows who you are, what you're experiencing, where you're going. And He knows all these things. And the children of Israel, if you're going back generations, had been promised by God with their their patriarch or their great-great-grandfather Abraham that God was going to make a great nation out of these people. And he was going to make a great nation out of them, and through them the entire world would be blessed. Then you fast forward several hundred years, and now these people, the Israelites, are in Egypt, and they are slaves. And they cry out to God, and God does something quite unique. He hears their prayers and he says, I'm going to send a man, Moses. 
who for the previous 80 years, he was going through a very, very long apprenticeship of preparation. And now as an 80-year-old man, God came to him and said, I hear the voice and the cries of my people. I see their burdens. I see their slavery. They've cried out to me, and I'm going to liberate them, and I'm going to use you, Moses. And then from that, he begins to explain what was going to take place. He never promised to Moses that it was going to be easy. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, he says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. He already warned Moses, this is going to be hard. He's not going to let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. But Moses did the right thing. You step into chapter number 5 of Exodus. He goes from a man who's being introduced or reintroduced to God, sent to go back to a place he's been away from for 40 years. And now he's standing in front of Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And you think about all the emotion of going back, of taking that huge step of faith for God. I'm going to go and return to a place that I used to know. I used to have a reputation, but now I'm a nobody. And I'm going to go back and stand in front of the ruler of the world's superpower at the time. And I'm going to demand that he lets several million of his slaves go just because I said God said so. He had incredible faith. And when Moses went before Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. You think about the fact that he's expecting God to work and Pharaoh to say, absolutely, I'll let the people go without question. But that's not what Pharaoh said at all. Verse number two says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Then Pharaoh goes on and, and says, these children of Israel, they obviously have far too much time on their hands. They're talking about going and sacrificing to their God. So therefore, I'm going to make more work for them. They're going to continue to make bricks for me, but I'm going to make it double difficult because they have to provide the straw and everything else and make the bricks and continue to work harder. So therefore, of course, Moses and Aaron come back to the Israelites now that their workload has been increased and doubled. And they, they're not coming back as heroes. They're not coming back as great liberators. They've stepped out by faith to do the things that God has called them to do. And the response in verse number 21 is not that of a, of a celebration. In fact, it's quite sad. This is the children of Israel talking to Moses. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge. And they're saying, God's going to judge you for what you've done. You made our work harder. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and put a sword in their hands to kill us. Moses was met by God, told to go and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so we can go and sacrifice to God. Moses went, took a huge step of faith and stepped out by faith and did that. And it did not turn out the way that he expected. Have you ever felt that way? God's called you to do something. And you go, God, I'm going to step out by faith. And it didn't turn out the way that you expected it to. 
God was teaching Moses an incredible lesson. And I believe in times of difficulty, God is not doing that to hurt you. He's not doing it just to mess with you to see how far he can push you before he kicks you over the edge. What he's doing is he's teaching you a lesson. Moses responded absolutely correctly, and he turned directly to God. Verse 21, the Israelites were saying, God judge you. And he turned straight to God in verse number 22. Verse 22, it says this. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? He's speaking really bluntly to God. Why did you ever send me? In other words, he's saying there, God, I told you I was a nobody. I told you I couldn't do this. I told you that this Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. Notice it was all I, I, I. Verse 23, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Now, Moses was by no means a teenager, but you imagine the teenager attitude coming out here. The attitude of you said you were going to do something and you haven't done it. In fact, God, you made it worse. Now, God, in his graciousness and kindness, didn't look at Moses like an ant and squash him. Turn your page to chapter number six. God responds and he gives Moses an incredible time of counsel. Chapter number six, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. The prayer was, I did this, this and this, and you didn't come through. Now he's saying, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Every single one of us has a plan and a purpose that is God given. We have a choice of how we're going to respond. We either respond in fear, which is the total natural response, or we will respond in faith. Our faith is not that of a one-time event. I did that one time. I acted in faith. It's a continual growth and a step forward and a step forward and a step forward. And something I'm discovering in my life, and thank God for this, is that the promptings of my heart as a teenager to make some major steps forward in my faith, God didn't say, okay, I'm done with you now. Go work out life for yourself. I'll see you in another 80 years when you're 100 years old and you die. He didn't say that at all. God, next it. there's something more for us. There's something more for us. And we're continually growing and developing. And through the difficulties, he's growing us and developing us. We have three principles for God's provision this morning. If you say principles for provision 10 times fast, it comes out really clearly. Principles for God's provision. The first one is this. Let God be God. Take, the second is take God at his word. And the third is reflect on past provision. We're going to walk through these principles fairly quickly, but I want you to have an understanding that this is God's counsel to Moses that we, you and I can apply to our lives where we are today. Whether you are somebody who's known Jesus Christ as your Savior for many, many years and you're continuing to grow, or you're a brand new Christian, everything you find in the Word of God is fresh and new. This is equally applicable to your life. Our first principle is, let God be God. In verse number two, we see this. God says, I am the Lord. 
And if you have a Bible similar to mine, the way the translators have, have written and laid it out, Lord is in all capitals. And that's the distinction between just any Lord, as in the Lord or the, you know, the owner of the land or the, the owner of the company. This is the Lord, which is the, the Hebrew word Jehovah or Yahweh. And with Jehovah, it is the, the eternal self-existent one. That is the way that God is described there. And it's not just any God. It is, I am the eternal God, the eternal creator. Now, with that, let's break that down just quickly. He's outside of the realm of time. Now, I've often thought about this, is that when I can't sleep at night, I think about really, really deep things. And I find it puts me to sleep faster than counting sheep or anything else. You just focus upon eternity and try to imagine being outside the realm of time and seeing absolutely everything at, at once. It puts me to sleep. In, it's amazing. It's right, right to sleep. Because what it does, you start thinking about the grand things. It's far beyond my comprehension at all. And the more that I scratch the surface and begin to understand who God is and in his power in eternity, the more I just say, wow. We find here when Pharaoh responded to let my people go, he used that same word. Pharaoh said, who is Jehovah? Who is the self-existent Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Going on in chapter number six, he was, God is giving Moses counsel here and giving him words of encouragement. Let God be God. If God really is God, that changes our perspective on absolutely everything. The way that I see myself the way that I see my problems, the way that I see you, the way that I see others, you now have value, not because I give you value, but because the eternal self-existent God gives you value. And in verse number two and three, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Those were his great-grandfathers. As God Almighty. You ever heard the Hebrew word El Shaddai? That's God Almighty. That's that God right there. So when he came to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, he came as I am God Almighty. But now he's giving us another understanding of who he is. And he's telling Moses, I'm not just God Almighty. I am God, the eternal self-existent one. And he's giving us a more of an understanding. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. If God really is God, it changes everything. It changes the big things that we see and also the small things. In the big things, we, it changes our perspective on eternity. It changes our perspective on our salvation. The fact that salvation and our means of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior is not something that mankind made up. And we just came up with a really good idea to get to know God somehow through this man, Jesus. This was all God's idea to send his son, Jesus, to earth, to live a perfect life, to die on a cruel cross, to rise from the dead for your sin and for my sin. God provides in very unique ways. None of us would have come up with that idea. 
in the big things. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. If God really is God, it changes the way that we look at our marriage and our family. It changes the way that we look at our career and our finances and some of the big questions of life, but also in the small things of life, in the small, seemingly mundane things. We have no problem saying, God, I'll trust you for my eternity. But in the small day-to-day things, we have a hard time trusting God, allowing God to be God. If we want God to provide and we want God to provide in unique ways in our life, we have to let God be God in the big things, but also in the small things. In the things that we see, we put before our eyes, the way that we think and our perspective and the way that I think about others, the, the, the words that I say is all filtered through. If God really is God, it changes everything. If Jesus really is my Savior, it changes my perspective on everything. In Psalm 19, verse 14, it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. That is the word Jehovah. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How do we know that God is at work in our life? We discover it through the truth of the Bible. In John 17, 17, it says, Thy word is truth. So our first principle is, let God be God. And maybe that's something you need to add to your personal vocabulary or phrase that you use. When you're going through difficulties and you have times of uncertainty, maybe you need to, in prayer, say, God, I'm just going to let you be God today. I'm going to let you be controller of my life because you, you will provide in unique ways. The second principle is, take God at His word. If God says he's going to provide in a certain way, if he's going to do something, let's trust him to actually do that. Moving on from there, we see in chapter 6, verse number 6, God reiterates not just the I am the Lord, but he also adds some I will statements. He adds seven I will statements. Now, we know the end of the story. If you read the rest of the book of Exodus, which I would challenge you, read through the book of Exodus and become familiar with it through this this series and immerse yourself in the accounts and, and provision of God. With that, we know what happens at the end. Moses here hadn't done anything but be rejected. So right now, he's suffering from a syndrome called rejection that we've all felt before. And he doesn't know what's going to happen, but God can simply come alongside and say, here is my plan for you. Here is my promise to you. Maybe you need to go back to the word of God and and read through the scriptures and discover the promises of God in your life. Rediscover once again. One of the things that I find to be very transparent as a difficulty is I have to refresh my mind because I've studied it. I had the pleasure of growing up in church. My dad's a pastor, so in a positive way, I got to be at church all of the time. And I immersed my, my, myself in it. I went to Bible college. Of course, I'm a pastor, so I, I should be reading my Bible. And, in a, and one of the s- struggles is I can have this attitude. I know. I know that already. I've read that before. And it just, not to stop and to look at the, the things and the promises of God and going, God, that's absolutely amazing. Thank you for that promise. 
And as you read your Bible, you read it with anticipation, anticipating that God has something as a word of encouragement or a word of challenge for you every single time you open up God's word. God says in verse number six, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And here's the seven I will statements. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. Then he says again for the third time in this passage, I am the Lord. He starts the promises with I am the self-existent God. He finishes with the I am the self-existent God. If anyone we can trust in, it should be the Lord. Many times in our lives, and I'm thinking of Israel here, using them as the example. They've gone through generations of slavery. So their natural way of thinking is that of, I'm thinking as a slave. I'm thinking as a person that is oppressed. But when God delivers us from that and delivered Israel from that, their natural response was not that of a person that we were delivered. They often had the slave mentality, and it's easy to go back to the old ways of thinking. God provided for Israel, and he will provide for you in incredibly unique ways. Thank God that we don't have to come up with all the ideas. We don't have to look at the checkmark and go, God, I'll, I'll approve you doing that in my life and how you're going to provide this. After I approve what you're going to do, then I will follow through. Then you have permission to work in my life. That's not what we find in Scripture at all. You look through the accounts. God liberated his people in a way that was so unique. He sent 10 plagues into Egypt. And through the 10 plagues, eventually Pharaoh finally said, you may go. Then he later changed his mind again. God provided for his people in an incredible way financially. In chapter number 12, there's two verses there that I find absolutely incredible how God provides. And it's two verses that it says there, they plundered Egypt. Now you think of these slaves, they don't have a lot of possessions. They've been slaves. And God chose to provide for his people in an incredibly unique way. If you're to plunder people and someone's going to come and take your possessions, they're either going to have to do it with a sword or with a gun. They're going to have to do it you know, subvertly. But God did something absolutely miraculous. It says in, in chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. They had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. God did something miraculous. You imagine knocking on your neighbor's door, the Egyptian neighbor's door, and saying, hello, may I please have all your jewelry and your clothes, please? Now, the natural response that you would go is why or what or no. But God did something miraculous there, and he provided for them in an incredibly unique way where the Egyptian says, yes. Now, you imagine 
you, tr you try that the very first time and you're really tentative, like, um, can I have all your stuff? And they go, yes. By the fifth or sixth house that you knock on the door of, you're like, can I have your stuff? Yes. <laughs> can I have that? Yes. And they, through that, God said they provided. If you go to the nearing the end of the book of Exodus in chapter 35, have, they have a free will offering for the tabernacle. That's the place of worship for God. I believe that's where these people got their possessions from was because God provided through, through something of a means that was far beyond their, their thought process. He provided for them and gave them something to give in a way that was absolutely incredible. You continue going through. You imagine going through the Red Sea and you're coming across this great body of water. How am I going to cross this Red Sea? No one had the idea of putting a staff in the water and parting the Red Sea and walking through on dry land. God provided in a unique way. And with the water they came across, they came across a, a pool of water and they, they described it as bitter. And they put a, a tree branch in there or a tree in there. And the Bible says the waters turned sweet. God provided in a unique way. He provided food for them in a thing called manna, which we'll talk about in a few weeks' time. And with the manna, it came down and provided and provided and provided. And the word manna literally means, what is it? They had no name for it. It's kind of like saying, if you say, look at something, what is it? I don't know. Let's call it, I don't know. Because they have no idea what it is. God provided in a unique way. He provided for his people in their clothes. The book of Deuteronomy says their clothes never wore out. That's absolutely amazing. I, I was thinking about this, thinking that next generation that followed these children in the wilderness, their parents probably said, in my day, our clothes never wore out. Why do you keep ruining your clothes? I thought that was funny for me because that's how my mom used to talk all the time. Like, why are you ruining your clothes? Take care of your stuff. They had no excuse during this time because the clothes just never wore out. He protected them through battle. He provided for them in ways that far beyond their own ability and their, their means. Because they let God be God, they took him at his word, and God provided. The third principle is to reflect on past provision. In that passage, God says to Moses, I came to your great-great-grandfather Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I made covenant promises to them and I'm, he's reiterating those same promises so the same promises that he had in the past and you look back upon the life of abraham how god provided and he said i'm going to make a great nation out of you but he had no children and he provided just one son as the heir son and then god told abraham to sacrifice that son which is something incredibly offensive and the next morning, Abraham got up with his son Isaac, who was probably a teenager at the time. He took some wood, he took some fire, and they began to travel several days' journey in the direction of a mountain that they were going to sacrifice. And Isaac, being a smart teenager, recognized that he'd seen sacrifices in the past, but he'd never seen a sacrifice without a lamb. And in, in Genesis chapter 22, Verse number seven, it says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And they continue on in the journey. And Abraham responded in a way of incredible faith, not knowing how God was going to provide. He just believed that God would provide. And he said, verse eight, 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And Abraham continued on building the altar, putting his own son on the altar, preparing to do what God had told him to do. And at the very last moment, God stopped Abraham's hand going down with the knife to sacrifice his son, and he provided a ram that was caught in some bushes behind them. In the book of John, chapter number 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist saw his cousin Jesus walking toward him, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, Abraham was a picture, and Isaac was a picture of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, that he would sacrifice himself on the cross. God provides in unique ways. My challenge for you and for me is in our daily lives, we look back at our past provision and how God's provided in the past. God provided for me personally in absolutely incredible ways. When I went to Bible college, God provided amazingly. When I got out of high school, I started working full-time, saving. I was frugal, not cheap. And I saved uh, enough money to fly to the U.S., to buy a car, and to pay for my first year of Bible college. And I had it all planned out how I was going to provide. And about a month or so before I was to leave Australia for the U.S., the Australian dollar lost 25% of its value, and I no longer had enough money to do everything that I planned on doing. And you know how God provided so miraculously? At, through that time, I had a choice in fear or in faith. And I remember getting on my knees and saying, God, if you're shutting the door here, shut the door because I can see I can't afford this any longer. What are you going to do? And I remember praying that so distinctly. And that's why it's so powerful. This story is so powerful to me. Is that a week or two later, my dad got an email from a pastor friend of his in California who had heard through some means that I was going to Bible college and said simply this, Hi, I hear that your son's going to Bible college. Would he like a scholarship? We have a scholarship through our church. And of course, the answer was a quick yes. Unbeknownst to me, that scholarship paid for my tuition and books for four years of Bible college. Far beyond the seemingly small amount that I lost, God provided. And I look back on that and think, God, you gave me a choice of how I was going to respond. And I simply said, God, you're going to have to provide here. And you did far beyond in ways so unique that I had never thought of that before. And God, through that, it built my faith. Similar for yourselves. As you move forward in your own personal lives, you will look back on your, how God's provided for you in the past when you've allowed God to be God, when you have remembered his past promises. You will be able to move forward and to look forward to help what God has for you next as you move from here to there. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? And maybe today something in your heart has prompted you and you need to spend some time in prayer with God. There's something we can be a help with you. You have your connection card inside of your bulletin. You can fill that out and we'll be happy to help you along in your journey too. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your love and your care. Thank you for your word. Where we find in your word that you do love us. We discover in your word that you have a plan and a purpose for us and you sent your son Jesus to come and die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you have provided for us in such unique ways. We don't have to come up with all the ideas ourselves, but you have the ideas, you have the plan, you have the purposes. Lord, I pray that we as a church will be the people that follow you in that way.
that will seek to move forward and not stagnate, that will be the people you want us to be and do the things that you want us to do. And in Jesus' name, amen.